it's not hard to find colleagues with good things to say about James Mahoney. So, um, so James Mahoney is one of the like legends of of uh, doctors that have been working at counties since really the 80s, um, when we were in the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, when we were like the only public hospital available to um, patients in the middle of Brooklyn. This is Linda Fan, an emergency medicine physician. Mahoney was at one point her supervisor. He was a Freeport doctor who was accustomed to shouldering great burdens. He worked for decades between two neighboring Brooklyn public hospitals, SUNY Downstate on one side of the street and Kings County on the other. The first time we ever met was uh, 20 years ago when I briefly came to uh, Kings County and I met him just in passing. And it's funny, he's such a larger than life personality that he was the one thing I really remembered from that, really? from that day. This is Dr. Robert Ferrangi, who eventually led Mahoney's division. And when I came here, I uh, came to be chief of uh, pulmonary and critical care at SUNY Downstate in August of 2015. Uh, uh, I ran into him again. He was one of my uh, pulmonary and critical care attendings. He was one of the uh, he was one of only two attendings that were here when I came to take on uh, the division. He and another very junior attending were literally holding up the division uh, by themselves. Ferranji says Mahoney had a deep sense of morality. He just was driven by this moral compass. And uh, he didn't wear, like, religion on his sleeve, but he was a very faith-driven man. And he had an intrinsic belief in the dignity of, of, of the individual and that all of us were equal under the eyes of God. Maybe that's what made Mahoney decide to stay on the job earlier this year. He was about to retire. He loved cruises, and he was 62. But there were all those patients that were going to need help during the coronavirus pandemic. Other doctors worked at wealthy private institutions, where executives were moving heaven and earth to get ready. But Mahoney worked at a public hospital complex that largely serves black, Latino, and poor patients, the kind of place where a resident physician started a GoFundMe to pay for respirators, gowns, and head nets back in March. That was the context in which Mahoney decided to keep working. And he did so until he fell ill with COVID-19. But he couldn't, he couldn't give it up. When the hospital needed him, he just went, he just went, uh, well. This is Oscar Mahoney, Dr. Mahoney's father, 89 years old and also from Freeport. He's talking about why Mahoney kept working those crucial few months. I think it was just his calling, and uh, yeah. he, had, he had to do it. And, uh, and I tell you what, Mark, it, it, was, it was very uh, devastating for me you know, get, to see how, how that was. This is episode 25 of Life Under Coronavirus, Newsday Opinion's oral history of the pandemic and how Long Islanders are getting through it. They're getting through it, thanks to the work and sacrifice of people like Mahoney. Mahoney's friends and family knew him as Charlie, a nickname from when he was just learning to walk. He came from a medical family. His father was a cardiopulmonary technologist in the Air Force, and Mahoney's brother was a doctor too, at the same Brooklyn facility. He was around medicine all his life. At first, Mahoney wanted to be a pro baseball player. And he could have been, his dad said but he broke his ankle playing football and couldn't get back into good enough baseball shape to satisfy pro scouts. So he went into medicine. It was a tough road for a black student, 
and Mahoney's father said he encountered discrimination. There was one encounter with a teacher who made assumptions about Mahoney because of his race. What, what was he making the assumption on? You know, you know, you know I don't have to tell you what, what his assumption was. Was it a racial thing, you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure it was. Yeah. New York didn't suddenly become a racial utopia in the decades since, either. Oscar told a story about how one time someone at the hospital made some assumptions again. I hate to laugh about this, but about a year ago, he was parked in the car, getting ready, taking off his earphones and stuff, and the car put beside him. The doctor put beside him and said, hey, get that car out of here, boy, for the the 12th doctor to park. The assumption in the parking lot was that Mahoney couldn't be a top doctor and shouldn't park in the doctor's spot. But he was, and he did. It was the kind of casual discrimination familiar to plenty of patients and staff at the Brooklyn facilities where Mahoney worked. He was a key figure there, Fan says. James Mahoney is black, seeing a face that was familiar or that reflected back um, who they were, I think was really uh, important for both our patients and for our trainees. Um, you know, we also... Uh, because we're a state hospital in the location that we are, um, to try to make sure that we have a, a diverse resident population and physician population that reflects our community. And he was one of the, the trainees of, of many of us. So I think that um, mm. that he was a model you know, physician and, and someone that people could look up to and say, you know, race doesn't matter. I can become a doctor if I want to. I can take care of my community. One time, his father says, years ago, Mahoney considered moving to a different hospital. Maybe he would make more money. But then he would have been leaving his patients behind. He was the kind of doctor beloved by those patients. His handwriting wasn't great, but he'd take the time to draw pictures and show people what was happening to them. He, he, not only that, he would draw pictures. He, he, he couldn't write. Look at his writing. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't read it. No, <laughs> <laughs> but... I can't how to read his writing. Right. He, would, he would draw pictures and show them what's going on. He took time with them. But some doctors don't do that. They, they, they do. We have to get to the next place. I'll get you out of the office, you know. i get right. where we have to go. But he would take time. He went above and beyond in terms of patient care. He was the best. Uh, you know, his patients had his cell phone number. That's unheard of. I know. I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I'm pretty friendly with my, but, you know, he was... Uh, just so warm, just so caring, and the patients knew it. He was also unusually helpful to colleagues and those he was training. And part of that was also that he was—he wouldn't disappear. He would just be available. He'd come and sit down with us in the call room overnight and put on the football game and order food, and we'd sit around and just chat and eat and, and you know write our notes and care for the patients. If that all doesn't make it clear, he was busy. He served in multiple roles between Downstate and Kings County, often driving himself to fatigue, always working. So across yeah. the street, he provided evening uh, ICU coverage. Okay. Uh, and he did that for decades. Uh, uh, that was the position he was going to retire from, but postpone re- retirement uh, for the COVID pandemic. Right. Okay. Here, and that was, at, that was at Kings County. That was at Kings County. Now here okay. at the University Hospital of Brooklyn, which is part of Downstate, the uh-huh. state institution, uh, he was one of my attendings, so he was providing eight months a year of pulmonary and critical care coverage. In addition to that, <laughs> as you could, you know, he was had a very busy outpatient 
clinic, which I think he did three times a week. And he did um, evening coverage for us to the to the tune of uh, 10 shifts a month. Wow. So that's why, I mean, his loss emotionally is uh, devastating. But the reality is, I mean, he was a great doctor. And, you know, now we're challenged with, you know, uh, finding someone to take on a, all those clinical responsibilities that mm-hmm. that he held. And there's there's no replacing someone like Dr. Mahoney. The pandemic hit downstate hard. We had six attendings at the beginning of this pandemic, and we were taking care of uh, 40 to 50 patients. 50, I would say even more at one point, 50 to 60 patients a day. Uh, and uh, that's a lot because these are each the sickest patients you ever did take care of in your life. Downstate added beds in the cafeteria. Faranji said they didn't have to use them, but that was the type of urgency. And protective equipment was in short supply. Every hospital in the city, at this, you know, they're all, everyone got caught uh, with an inadequate level of PPE at the beginning because the rates of usage, the amounts they were burning through, they were burning through like 5,000 gallons a day. Uh, so it was in short supply. That's a terrifying situation for hospital staff. It's why nurses around the region were calling for donated masks and accepting them, even if they were made at home on someone's sewing machine. Mahoney's father worries that Mahoney didn't have enough equipment to protect himself. Why if, they, if the firefighters have the equipment to go fight fire, if the police may have the chest protecting stuff, yeah. they, go, they go do their work. Why the doctors don't have the equipment to do their work? And that's what, that's what bothers me. Franji says they ended up having enough protective equipment. But during the height of the crisis, they weren't able to keep it stocked at every room. And this is where his dedication to patient care maybe played an issue. Uh, if there was a code, it might mean you have to run down the corridor, get PPE, and then run back to the patient room and go in. Right. Uh, uh, he would just go in, you know. Mm-hmm. So he'd always have a mask, or he'd always have gloves on, but maybe not always a gown, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not always goggles. Uh, uh, so uh, if every room had ample supply of PPE out of it, that you wouldn't be making that choice. Go down the corridor, pick up the PPE, come back. You know, uh, that might take you two or three minutes. You know, that was the kind of doctor he was. If, you know, for me, the honest answer, I went down the corridor, got the PPE, and came back. But some wouldn't, and he was one of those that wouldn't. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know fully, but that's part of the story. The end of the story is that Mahoney contracted the virus. His father was talking to him on the phone one day. He said, my temperature this, this can't, get, can't get my temperature down. I said, what is it? He said, it's, it's 102. I said, what? 102. I said, well, you get to the hospital right away. It was the last time they spoke. Mahoney went to his own hospital. When he got sick and I could see how sick he was, and I think I knew how sick he was. He knew how sick he was. Uh, we were hoping against hope that, you know, he would somehow pull through this. But 
he put himself in the hands of his longtime colleagues. When he fell ill, uh, you know, he trusted me with his care, and he trusted to come here to Downstate. This is where he wanted to be. And I thought, you know, he was getting sicker by the day, and we were doing everything, throwing everything modern science has to try to save his life. And then ultimately he needed to be intubated. There was a final twist. He didn't die in Brooklyn. He was transported to NYU, which had a machine which could essentially work as an artificial lung. I knew that we were on a sinking ship, uh, and really only hope was to go to an ECMO center. NYU had the necessary machine, and Mahoney's own hospital, the public one, didn't have one up and running, Faranji said. NYU was one of the best ECMO centers, and they were kind enough to accept him. But unfortunately, you know, things just didn't work out. Faranji said the pandemic experience had been like witnessing a literal village of people dying, the kind of experience that you don't easily emerge from psychologically. Add to that the loss of Mahoney. You know, the reality is we're losing, you know, a a great man and a brilliant uh, physician who was such an asset to the community. Mahoney's old hospital is trying to move on as COVID cases drop. Faranji says those beds in the cafeteria are gone, but there's still no tables for gathering. Mahoney's father is at home in Freeport trying to stay virus-free and deal with the loss of his son, who helped so many others but couldn't save himself. He did what he was supposed to do, you know? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very religious man. I think that God put trees to give some people, certain trees to people shade, and uh, they're there for a purpose. If you cut it down and move it, 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 it loses its purpose of being there. Mm-hmm. So he had to, to put another one there. And so everything has a purpose in life, you know? Everything, I don't care what it is, it has a purpose. So, so when you take time and, and do with what you was designed to do, and, and do it well, everything's going to be all right. If you're going to be a doctor, be a good one. If you're going to be a... a, a a street sweeper, be a good one. You'll yeah. be a good dancer like I used to be, be a good one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so you think, I mean, so his, so for Charlie, you know, his purpose was in that hospital, you mean, like the Brooklyn one? You have to be a doctor. Yeah, that was, that was his calling. Thanks for listening to Life Under Coronavirus. If you know of someone we should be covering, or if you want to share your own experience about coronavirus in New York, Leave us a voicemail with your name and phone number at 631-213-1543. That's 631-213-1543. We may use your message as the basis for a future episode. Once again, I'm Mark Chisano from Newsday Opinion. Amanda Facina is our producer. Stay healthy. See you next time.